Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fear the Phoenix podcast. My name is Brian Dickman, and well, where do we even begin? When we last recorded back on May 12th, uh, it's pretty amazing how naive we were about what was about to happen. Uh, I listened to that episode again, and we were talking about how crazy the month of April was because of a couple transfers and some recruiting news, and then bam, Jeff Goodman sends out the tweet heard around the world, at least our little corner of the world anyway, back on May 17th, announcing that Link Darner had been fired, setting up a three-week coaching search leading to Will Ryan being announced as the Phoenix new head coach. So lots to unpack, lots to talk about. And thankfully, I don't need to do it all by myself. I got a couple of guys with me today. Uh, the first guy is kind of the Kiefer Sykes of this podcast. Uh, he puts up a lot of points. He's a playmaker, dependable. It's Jim Saro. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, definitely looking forward to the conversation. And I think that uh, hopefully it's going to be an hour well spent. Agreed. So also on the show, we got the Amari Davis of the podcast. He had a good rookie debut. Um, so he's officially back again, looking to build off that solid first showing. It's the man behind the Phoenix Rising 9 Twitter account. It's Jordan Drew. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, as like as with Jim, I'm excited to be on the podcast. Dude, we we got a lot to talk about. Lots lots have changed, and um, more importantly, I'm excited for the future. So but let's get it started today. Agreed. So, like I said, less than a week after we last recorded, Jeff Goodman breaks the news: the Link Darner had been fired, saying Green Bay parted ways with Link Darner, and that. Darner and his staff were completely blindsided. Um, I think blindsided is pretty much the way anybody that is a fan of Green Bay basketball kind of felt. Uh, Jordan, is that how you felt? You know, when you, when you first saw that news, what was your first reaction to seeing that? I had to try, actually try to refresh, refresh my Twitter page a couple of times. So I didn't believe it because um, it just really caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting that because Green Bay literally had been signing players two weeks prior to then um, getting ready for the next year. So, um, I, yeah, like I said, I was just really surprised and didn't really believe it until we, you know, we got on our little message board and we started messaging each other uh, back and forth and we all kind of saw it. So that's kind of when I started believing it and when other people started tweeting back at me and whatnot. <laughs> right. I, I know for me personally, um, it was weird because I had gone down to my basement to grab my laptop and there was like, almost two inches of water in my basement. So I'm like, well, this is, <laughs> this is not good. Like my mind's racing from my basement being underwater. And then I see on Twitter that link Donner has been fired. So I'm running back between home Depot and the house, you know, trying to refresh, refresh Twitter as fast as I can. Uh, Jim, what was your reaction when you heard the news? Yeah. I mean, definitely the timing of it all seemed unbelievable, but you know, when it comes from a Jeff Goodman, a guy like that's not going to screw around with information unless it's true. So uh, I knew as soon as I saw a guy like that put it out there, like this is a real thing. But um, how we got to that point and why we got to that point, that's the part that people, you know, at that moment are like, whoa. And, and I would say for the most part, three weeks later, we're still like, huh, how did we get to this point? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, Twitter's funny because – I think just because of the timing of 
of when it happened, you know, that Twitter was going crazy with rumors about, you know, there must have been some sort of off the court issues that happened. So he's going to get fired for cause to, you know, other people are saying, oh, Green Bay is going to be dropping out of Division One. That, that's the only, only reason they're doing this. So, you know, Twitter is the best, but it is also the worst. Um, but, you know, now that some time has passed, um, you know, Jordan, do you feel any differently or is it still kind of like, you know, I kind of can't believe that happened? Um, I, I, I kind of, since time has passed, I kind of, you know, just reading everything, what's been going on. I kind of, I kind of understand it now. But I want to get back to your point about dropping out D three. I had I typed out many tweets I had to, to delete um, to sending to people about how they were for sure, how we were for sure dropping a D three. Um, that was really frustrating for me to see that. I, um, I felt just like people were jumping to conclusions and not looking at the big picture here. That you just want to be a better basketball program, and that and that's it. Um, so, but yeah, that's I. I understand what's going on now. I mean, you just got to do your research. Yeah, I agree. And I was pretty happy to see uh, when the university released a statement that next day that the chancellor came out and said, we we are a division one university and plan to stay that way. So that was kind of good to put those rumors to bed right away. Um, Jim, do you have any, you know, any thoughts that changed in the three weeks since it happened or is it still just kind of like, whoa, you know, picking up on the, the, the dropping divisions and all those kinds of things. Uh, a little perspective on that. So a lot of people don't know that before I was the Kiefer Sykes of the podcast, I was also the Sukchak Baines of the cross-country team coming in last place every once in a while. <laughs> but uh, in that role on the cross-country team at Green Bay, I also was part of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. It's something that still exists today for the, the program and the Horizon League. And even back then, and it was probably 98, I'd say, uh, you know, they did a feasibility study of D1. And I'm sure in the COVID-19 world, a feasibility study was done on D1 again. I mean, the university for a public school operating in D1 is operating about half the enrollment size of a lot of the other or a third of the enrollment size of a lot of the other mid-major public schools that are D1. So they always have to do, you know, be responsible with their, their funds. But, you know, athletics as being the marketing arm for the university to a certain extent, the university is in high growth mode. You see them adding, you know, employable majors constantly. We see enrollment growing three straight years. Only UW-Madison has done that. So I was never really worried about them dropping down. But I do feel like there's people out there that are always looking to pile on Green Bay and just be like, oh, it's just little old Green Bay or they can't do anything because they've always done it with less money. And I'm really glad the commitment for athletics. And now that we kind of get the sense here that this is all about the future of athletics. It's all about taking the resources we have and putting them into athletics and making our athletics program as strong as possible. And I'm, I'm just really pleased that that's, you know, the messaging that I'm seeing now three weeks later that, hey, we are committed to D1. And not only are we committed to D1, we're committed to not just, you know, scraping by for the rest of time, but we're going to figure out a way to raise our funds because we can't take enrollment from 8,000 to 18,000 overnight and get all the segregated fees that come with that. So we got to figure out other ways to become uh, financially solvent and also be the marketing arm for a growing university in the third largest metro area in the state. So I feel better about everything now than I did back then for sure. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way. Um, you know, I think the the big thing was the timing of it. You know, if, if you would have told me back on March 11th or whatever it was after Green Bay lost to Northern Kentucky in the Horizon League tournament um, that they were going to be moving on at that point, I think it still kind of would have been a shock, but it wouldn't have been as big of a shock because, you know, we made it two or three months after that happened. But if you start thinking about the reasons for the change, um, you know, fan support pretty much at a historic low. Average attendance was below 2,000 fans per game for the first time since 1986 and down 46% since 2015, which was Brian Wardle's last season. Um, you know, the program kind of felt like it was stuck on the treadmill where, you know, it's good enough to finish in the top four, but not quite good enough to challenge for a regular season championship. I think they finished 17 and 16 in in the regular season in uh, each of the last two years. So, um, and then there's the self-inflicted 
bad contract. So, you know, if you start thinking about reasons, people were kind of looking for, for dirt that wasn't really there. It was just, you know, um, a change was wanted to be made by the administration. So that's what they went with. You know, Brian, one thing on the quote unquote bad contract, and I understand where that comes from, but a little perspective I think would be kind of maybe important for people to think about like, yeah, link had some favorable terms in his contract, but you have to also remember his terms are still paying him the same base salary that he started in 2015. Part of that contract was negotiated for him to, you know, offset the fact that he wasn't receiving significant pay raises for, you know, the work that he was doing, especially compared to where the rest of the league has gone to think about what it would cost to buy out, you know, a a Pat Baldwin or, or what it would have cost, you know, uh, it cost Milwaukee five hundred thousand dollars or whatever to buy out one year of Rob Jeter. It's costing you know Green Bay seven twenty to buy out six years of Link Darner. So I don't know if that contract is as bad as people you know portray it to be. I mean, yeah, he had a lot of years on it, but it was a lot of years at a relatively low money for a D one coach, and especially one that delivered at least average results. I mean, people don't understand how hard it is to be at least average in this business. So uh, <laughs> I don't think it's as bad as people want to portray it, to be honest with you. That's fair. Um, you know, just to talk, you mentioned 720,000. Yep. That's, that's his guaranteed money for the next three years just to go away. Um, 120,000 of that has already been paid out. It's another hundred, 120,000 coming on January 4th. Um, and then, you know, for the next two years after that, he'll be getting $20,000 per month. So, you know, he's, he's getting a, a nice, parting gift um but i agree with what you're saying jim yeah now i'm know, just saying far, if somebody made four hundred thousand a year point. it would have cost any had two years left it would have cost us eight hundred thousand to buy that out that's all i'm getting to is that it's not that bad fair enough so as far as the optics go though i mean you know yes it's seven hundred twenty thousand dollars but I, I think that's it's a really bad look to be paying that much money um especially during this coronavirus crisis while the university is laying off or furloughing people and sports are getting cut like tennis. Uh, I just think that's an overall bad look. Uh, What do you think about that, Jordan? I I, I agree. It's it's definitely a bad look, but I don't think they really had a choice. If they wanted to make this decision, they had to make it now. I mean, I don't think as they wouldn't have fired him if they didn't think that, he could bring in the fans and change what he was doing. Yeah, he was he was winning on the court, but the fans weren't coming in. Um, I don't think they really had a choice. It was either now or wait till next year, and then they couldn't. They I don't think they could afford to wait again until next year if the, if the fan support was going to be as low as it already was. So it, it kind of just put them in a bad situation. It's, I mean, I don't think I don't think Charles was expecting a pandemic to to come and uh, really <laughs> mush everything up. Yeah. You know, I kind of agree with you. It, you know, overall it is a a bad look, especially with, with that going on in the background. And then we, we touched on the contract, you know, he had that top four provision, um, you know, the much maligned top four provision, which he was meeting or exceeding. So, you know, to fire him for that kind of looks bad as well. But on the flip side, I like how the administration, you know, basically saying that a top, you know, a third or fourth place finish is not good enough. Cause you know, this is a program that has always punched above its weight and has had high expectations. So, I mean, in that regard, it's kind of exciting to, to hear that we shouldn't be content settling for a third or fourth. So, I mean, the optics are good, but I could also see, or I mean, the optics are bad, you know, overall generally, but I couldn't see kind of, you know, a good thing in all of this. Do you agree with that, Jim? Yeah. I- it is really one of those things where we're saying, hey, Green Bay basketball is a really good thing. And this is the, you know, there's the book that was out, you know, a decade or so ago called From Good to Great. And that's what they're saying is that, hey, we, we have a good thing, but we want it to be a great thing. And we are going to do the things that are necessary to make it a great thing. Um, one thing, you know, along on the optics of what you see, one thing that also kind of hurt was the silence of what we didn't hear. You know, these things happened and then contractually they you know, agreed to not talk about it. And so then we were just kind of left in this void of like, we didn't get to hear anything. So like, not only did you have, 
you know, the furloughing at the university, then you had the silence surrounding what happened. And that kind of, I think, really just piled on in, in a social media world. People just take that for the worst, you know, things from linked did something wrong to, uh, you know, the university's disbanding sports. I mean, that was all out there because they weren't going to talk about. It. So you had a bad look with silence laid over the top was definitely not the best um, at, while it was happening. Right. So let's just kind of um, touch on the coaching search here really quick. Um, you know, the initial names that Scott Vency kind of put out right after it happened, you had Gary Gresh, Brad Soderberg, Jimmy Foster, Ben Johnson, the former UWGB player. And then um, he also mentioned Joe Krabenhoff ex- uh, expressed interest. You know, it, Gresh kind of seemed to be the local media favorite for the job. And then he just up and removes his name from consideration. It, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. What, what did you think about, like, what were you thinking? What went through your mind, Jordan, when, when you saw that Gary Gresh was no longer in the running? For yeah, the you, you definitely hit that nail on the head there. I, every, everybody on Twitter, was, it was Gary Gresh, Gary Gresh, Gary Gresh. So I, I pulled his, his name out of the running. Uh, it'd be kind of, no, uh, because I, I thought he was, I thought he was going to be the guy um, because he would have, if they wanted, like they did with hiring Will Ryan, Gary Gresh would have brought the people well too because from his days of playing ball at Green Bay and the success he's had at St. Norbert. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those unknown things of why I pulled his name out of the hat. Yeah. And I know Jordan, you were, you publicly <laughs> endorsed uh, Jimmy Foster. D- do you, do you want to expand on, you know, why you did that? I know, I know you mentioned you're going to support no matter who they picked, but you know, er, pretty early on, you were you were on the Jimmy Hashtag Foster. Hashtag bring boat. Jimmy back. Uh, no, yeah, I just exactly. from his days being here at Green Bay, he was he was successful with under Brian Wardle here, and they kind of had to go under a little rebuild when they first got here. And then, obviously, through the Kiefer Sykes years, um, Alec Brown successful. And they moved on to Bradley and kind of undertook the same rebuilding mode. Um, so his he was successful in where he went, and they actually built the program to be in you know conference contenders and just his reading articles and, you know, popping on the Bradley message board and whatnot. He really had his a recruiting foot in the area, um, whether it be Milwaukee, uh, the rest of Wisconsin, even down in Illinois. I mean, I think Bradley this year pulled two kids from the Milwaukee area to go play at Bradley. So that's just, he, he knows the area. So that would have been beneficial to the university um, to get those, get those guys that we've been missing out on the past, uh, you know, three or four years. Uh, but no, it's, I'm I'm happy with Will Ryan, uh, and I didn't even know uh, he was a candidate. So, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. I didn't know his, I didn't know his name uh, to be honest with you until three or four days ago. But uh, so, it's just crazy how things change. I mean, eleventh they fire the coach on this, so things change overnight. Just got to roll with it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the other names that. Uh that Scott Vincey mentioned uh, Greg Gottlieb assistant coach at Oregon state, Ernie Ziegler assistant coach at Mississippi state, uh, Andre cook, the head coach St. Edwards university, a division two school uh, Jim noticeably absent was Kent Dernbach, the UW lacrosse head coach, <laughs> despite <laughs> that one guy repeatedly spamming his name on Twitter. It was, it was hilarious to see that guy popping up everywhere. Yeah. You know, I think one thing I take away from the the coaching search itself, like, you know, not including Krabenhoff, there were nine public names, uh, four to five of them kind of had some level of tie into the Bennett family. Uh, four or five of them have operated as high major assistants. Uh, four of them, four or five of them had operated as mid major assistants. Two of them had previous D one had coaching experience and three, were current sitting uh, coaches at either the D2 or D3 level, uh, with Gary being the only one at the D3 level. The biggest thing I took away from this, and I want you know people to understand, is that this is a very good job. It has some challenges like any job does. But in the end, we were able to get a pool of people to express interest in this job without a search firm being involved to do that, uh, that are currently operating, you know, at a much higher level than 
WEAC schools and you know how many people came out with initial articles and tweets about oh the guy from here or the guy from Oshkosh or Lacrosse or Platteville or wherever it's like no we're gonna be able to swim in a pool of people who are currently operating at you know at a D1 level or have been recently operating at D1 level so I think that's my biggest first biggest takeaway is this is a better job than what people thought it was uh, at least the people who ch- you know chose to tweet and write articles initially. Yeah, that's well said. And, you know, officially the four finalists, Jimmy Foster, Brad Soderberg, Rod Bolanis, Notre Dame assistant, and Will Ryan. Yeah, I saw a lot of people posting on Twitter. Again, Twitter is the worst, but, uh, you know, they're kind of like basically wondering why would Brad Soderberg not get this job? And it's like, personally, I'm very happy Brad Soderberg did not get this job. Uh, I would have been good with Jimmy Foster. Um, I really, you know, the, the choice to go with Will Ryan, um, my first instinct was I got to do some research cause I don't know, like you said, Jordan, I don't know anything about him, but, um, you know, he's the coach at Wheeling university in West Virginia last year, division two school. Prior to that, he was an assistant at Ohio and North Dakota state for Saul Phillips. And, you know, Saul Phillips was a guy that I was really hoping would, you know, at least, throw his hat in the ring for the for the gb job and he didn't but um i'm i'm happy with will ryan you know he's proven he can do more with less at wheeling he took over uh you know kind of empty cabinet uh last year at wheeling uh will ryan has strong ties to the state of wisconsin he knows the basketball landscape here i think that's going to help with in-state recruiting um you know his dad is bo ryan obviously so his name has some cachet among casual basketball fans throughout the state, not just the green Bay area. Uh, you know, it's already creating a buzz. Um, you know, I I heard Bo Ryan on ESPN Milwaukee this morning. Um, I've never seen so many, you know, like local media stories about green Bay basketball. So hopefully that'll be paying off down the road. Uh, as far as, you know, tickets and uh, ticket sales and things like that. So, um, what was your first impression, Jordan, once you did a little Actually, bit of research uh, on Will Ryan? I read today about kind of Will Ryan's coaching style and then also a quote from his dad. Uh, so not saying teams that are linked daughter didn't do this because they did a, definitely did a few of these things, but Will Ryan had mentioned that the Green Bay community, it really, really is going to appreciate his teams because his teams are going to be diving for you know loose balls. They're going to play tough defense. They're going to move the ball. And they're going to be – unselfish when it comes, you know, on the opposite, opposite side of the court. And I feel like me as a fan, and I'm a super fan, Some in some games watching in the past regime, the, 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 the selfishness kind of really broke me the wrong way sometimes when games were out of hand and pe- guys would just try to take over. And it's going to be a breath of fresh air seeing bringing a Will Ryan guy. Will Ryan, his offense were moved. They want to, you know, get out and run and get out and run if they make good stops on D. That was the article uh, that was Bo Ryan mentioned that, that the new team is only going to run if they get stops on D. If they don't get stops on D, they're not going to, they're not going to run. So they're going to be more, you know, disciplined on in that aspect. So they got to, they're going to play defense first. And I think that's something Green Bay fans appreciate. I mean, I know understand when, when Brian Wardle was here, we had great defensive team. I know we didn't score a whole lot of points, but support was there because they appreciated that basketball so i'm i'm looking forward to getting that back and i think we will get that back with uh with will ryan and his um you know his his strategy at least from what i'm reading i mean we'll see what happens on the court yeah i can say i haven't seen a whole lot of uh wheeling basketball but uh jim do you do you know anything about what kind of you know style of play we can expect to see from will ryan yeah um yeah i did a little bit of research and so before I get into that, though, I, I do think it's very important for us to uh, address the elephant in a room around Will Ryan. Nobody's really talking about it. Uh, he is a UWM grad, so he does have a strike against him. <laughs> but other true. than that, I could not be more excited with what they, you know, w- with Will accepting the position of the head coach for UW Green Bay basketball. I think that when you look at the final candidate pool, what it really came down to, uh, and as fans, we always talk about this with recruits, you know, 
uh, upside, high ceiling. They took the guy that has the most potential. I think Jimmy Foster also had a lot of potential, but this is the guy who in all aspects uh, has the most potential. And he's also the guy that when any obstacles were put in front of him about what the program might be or might not be or might have or might not have, it didn't matter. He has the unwavering belief in himself and what he can do with this program. And I really appreciate that about him coming in. Um, like you guys, wheeling basketball is hard to find on the internet. Um, it's, uh, but I did manage to find a couple of games that you could, you know, look into and a couple of things that stood out to me, you know, when you look at the stats for wheeling, they were plus two on the rebounds over the season, uh, which is another bugaboo for Green Bay fans was not rebounding. And the interesting thing about that is now I know it's D2 basketball, but they had 21 players on their roster, 17 of which were six, four or shorter. So that's, you know, gang rebounding, getting the ball. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to get, you know, force a team to miss a shot, but then you got to close that possession out and get the ball back. And they were positive on the rebounds over the course of the season. So I think that's really great. I think from a defensive perspective, it's just going to be different in defense. Like a lot of people have been saying, Hey, Link didn't coach defense. And I, I wouldn't say they didn't coach defense, but certainly, you know, if you're a star player on offense, you could make a defensive mistake or two more so than if you're a role player on offense. Um, but you know, with Link, they were up in the passing lanes and they were switching all the time. And I think with, with uh, you know, the games I saw online, it was a better version of man defense that people will appreciate, you know, it's limited switching, you know, fighting through a screen, um, not extending out in the passing lane, like making the driving lanes tougher, uh, closing out, you know, shots, contesting shots, like just the stuff that, you know, the hard nose stuff. And it's not that, Link didn't want to play defense is that he wanted to get the tempo going and he wanted to get the turnovers going. So they turned it into offense. And I think we're going to see just a much more traditional form of defense. And so we won't have as many points scored, but we'll also probably give up way fewer points with that. Um, one thing that I did note, like there's a game I just watched uh, wheeling versus West Liberty and West Liberty was uh, nationally ranked in D2. Uh, they West Liberty had, you know, full court pressure the whole game. But Wheeling ran. They ran a lot in that game. So I do think that there's an opportunity to kind of meld styles here. Like, you know, a Bo Ryan team at Wisconsin wasn't really running, but a Bo Ryan team at Platteville was. And I think that there's an opportunity for a younger Will Ryan to say, okay, what does modern basketball look like? And then how do we implement the stuff that we also know that works? Like, for me, I liked in the past when Coach Charner, like, think of how many times if we, on a made free throw, we'd score in four seconds or less. You know, that wasn't luck and that wasn't just chucking up shots. That was systemic. That was a you know plan in place to do that. And if he runs like he did at Wheeling, just a little bit like, hey, you get a stop, you get up court and see if you can get an easy basket before we then work for in our half court set. I think that we're going to see a little bit of that. So it's going to be kind of a, a meld of it's not going to be walking the ball up the court all the time. And it's not going to be, you know, uh, a five alarm fire racing up and down the court all the time either. Uh, and then, you know, last thing, when you think about like the swing offense, which he said, he's going to run some of that swing offense and is just a fancy name for motion offense. It has some different principles, but at the end of the day, the basic swing offense to me looks like a four out motion. And, you know, from a perspective of the players, Green Bay has returning. Now, granted, we don't have a lot of returning players, but of the guys that we had recruited and the guys we had returning offensively, we should still be able to see, uh, our guys score relatively easily. I mean, we have some really talented offensive players and emotion offense is really geared to help guys uh, create mismatches and take advantage of that. Uh, so as long as you get a little bit of that creativity that players want today with the fundamentals that, you know, fans of, you know, the days gone by want, I think we'll have, again, a perfect meld of like new and old compared to just like straight old school basketball or, you know, in Link's case, which was really new school basketball. I think it's going to be a meld of the two things. Um, so that's kind of what I'm kind of expecting stylistically. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to be, you know, a stronger defensive emphasis. Um, you know, wheel, I, I looked up a few things. Uh, Wheeling has, they're picked to finish last in the 12-team Mountain East Conference, and they actually ended, uh, ended the year being top three in scoring defense, top three in defensive field goal percentage, and top three in defensive rebounding last year. Um, the only bugaboo jordan and close your ears on this uh 
you know, they, they gave up 36.2% on three pointers, which is actually worse than here. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, Will Ryan actually has a Twitter account. So we might have to warn him about you that you're going to be tweeting at him. Uh, if, the, if that three point yeah, defense, the three, the three point lines improve. in West Virginia are different. You um, know? I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Wheeling was pretty impressive defensively just looking, you know, I have, I, Honestly, I haven't watched a game, but just looking at the the raw numbers is pretty impressive. And then uh, offensively, I'm going to push up my glasses here because, you know, there's no Ken Palm for D2. So I had to figure out how to, you know, calculate possessions per game. And uh, Wheeling averaged about 68 and a half possessions per game. Obviously going to be much slower than Green Bay, which was about 74 possessions per game, which was the seventh fastest tempo in the country. But I mean, you know, 68 and a half, that would probably rank about 200th out of 353. So it'll be a change of pace, but it's, it's not going to be Wisconsin or Virginia slow uh, in that regard. So um, that's, you know, style of play wise, it'll be a little bit of a change, but it's not like we're going to be completely slowing it down. I think you hit it right on the head, Jim, when you said it'll be a a nice blend. Um, So let's talk about what's going on with the roster. Obviously before the firing, we had Manny Patterson transfer out to SEMO. Trey Bell transferred to Lewis. Hunter Christ went to Binghamton and Giovanni Miles also entered the transfer portal. Um, I don't think he's found a home yet. Uh, but beyond that, we had Tank Hemphill go to Drake and Leon Ayers uh, decommitted and then committed to Mercer. It also sounds like Josh Jefferson, uh, according to Scott Vency, appears likely he will not return. He's in the transfer portal right now. So that leaves a few spots open. Uh, Jordan, what do you think, you know, as far as the guys that are uh, going elsewhere, you know, I think t- Tank's a big loss. Leon Ayers could have been a, a nice piece, but, you, you know, do you think we can find Will, – Will's yeah. going to have a, a tough job, you know, especially with the pandemic going on, trying to I find – I was just actually looking at your uh, scholarship chart on fearthephoenix.com, and, and um, you know, I'm, I'm big into recruiting and whatnot, and right now we only have one scholarship going forward to, for 2021, and, course if everyone comes back and whatnot they stuff so stuff always changes so i'm really curious to know if like if he's going to try to fill all the scholarships or if he's going to try to maybe bank one for 2021 because there's a lot of good kids in the 2021 class especially wisconsin so that's i'm gonna do with that but yeah tank's a big loss uh i was excited to see him come back after his uh injury injury year off of red, red shirt year. Um, but we'll see. We have Kellogg. Uh, he, he's going to be coming back after his red shirt year. So we'll see what we can get, what, what he's all about, which I'm kind of, I'm excited to see that. Um, so we'll see. I mean, PJ Pipes is coming back. He's going to be our senior leader. We're gonna, the, the young guys are going to rely on him. And I think he's up to the task. Um, so lots, lots. Of- it's pretty crazy. We, we were going to go from, a team that was going to have like five or six seniors. And now PJ pipes is going to be the lone senior on the team. I believe, um, you know, it sounds like Jacob Jones is hundred percent committed. Looks like Terrence Thompson, uh, according to Instagram, it looks like he's on board. Uh, so by my count, we for sure have one spot open right now Two, if Jefferson is gone, which it sounds like he is, um, you know, it's kind of up in the air if Ryan Claflin still plans to uh, walk on next year and take a red shirt. I mean, at this point, I think you might as well just give him the scholarship. Uh, but but I'm not sure about that. Jim, what are your thoughts on the roster right now? Yeah, you know, when I think about, obviously, people are going to look at losing Tank as and think, oh, man, he was probably the top scorer returning. But if you also think about um, half-court offense and, like, swing offense, you know, post players play on the perimeter, perimeter players play in the post. Like uh, Tank wasn't going to necessarily be able to do a lot of damage on the perimeter. So maybe he wasn't the best fit for what we might see going forward. Whereas uh, uh, Josh uh, Jefferson uh, definitely is noted to be a shooter. I mean, I don't know what he's uh, like in other regards in terms of his defense or 
you know, how he fits in with the guys and things like that. But that seems like a loss. And Leon was always going to be a wild card because um, while he is a, a very good shooter, it's hard to know if the level that he was playing at in junior college would translate to D1. And he was at a D2 uh, junior college. So, you know, the last guy we had from a D2 junior college was Sultan Mohammed. And, um, you know, he was a role player. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not knocking Leon in any way, shape or form. I'm just, you know, kind of saying, Hey, he, while the idea of him probably would have been good for the swing, I don't know if he actually would have been that good at the D one level. Although we're probably going to find out in November <laughs> when we play Mercer. I was going to say, Jim, come on now. We got to play him this year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying you yeah. know, that, that, that level of junior college basketball, like most of the guys that come out of there no, usually aren't stars. Cause that's a, you know, second tier of, yeah. of Juco ball. Um, you know, I think it will be interesting, like Amari didn't take a lot of threes last year and not saying, you know, that he has to take threes this year, but, you know, spacing the court and having good court spacing and, um, you know, it'll be, be interesting to see. I mean, if he's on the, you know, on the wing as an example and they can reverse the ball to him, he could probably work, you know, go to the baseline from the left side and do a ton of damage in the mid range and all the way to the rack. So he's probably going to be good to go. PJ should be really good to go in this offense and have a huge, huge year. I think of a guy like um, you know Terrence Thompson also should have a huge year. If he's any kind of uh, shooter, which we're all expecting him to at least be able to hit standstill threes, you think of like one of the basic uh, actions in the in the swing offense is UCLA cut you know where point guard cuts or yeah point guard cuts down to the post and the big guy you know comes up and sets the screen then he pops out. Well, that that could be a look for Thompson to get a three or then to work and you know drive into the hoop. I mean, there's lots of things that you could look at guys. Uh, blatant, you know, big, big uh, guy, muscular-looking guard, and and if he stays, which we haven't heard anything from him, but if he stays, I uh, think of guards posting up a guy that's six three and built like he is, probably should be able to do some damage uh, inside. And I know a lot of people are pretty excited about um, uh, Jaffna Kellogg and uh, his size, six seven, six eight, uh, and he's got. He's got the ability to shoot. He can dribble a little bit to the hoop. Like he should be okay. Uh, Will Chevalier, I mean, a big guy shooting threes. That that should be good. I think the guys like um, you know Jacob Jones and Demonte and Paris and Donovan, uh, those are probably more of the wild card guys that we haven't seen play, so we don't know what they can do. But I'm sure they can all fit in. That's one of the things that uh, Bo Ryan was talking about with Will is that he's going to be able to adjust and fit his guys in where he needs to. It's not just going to be, oh, you have to fit into the style. Like he's going to play to his player's strength. So overall, I think uh, I think we're going to be just fine this year. Yeah, that's well said. You know, and and you just listed off a, b- a bunch of names there, Jim. That was that was perfect uh, segue for this one. So I mentioned we've got at least one or two spots available. What kind of team needs do we have as far as you know positioning? It seems like we're the Phoenix are a little guard heavy right now. Um, so Jordan, if if you had a magic wand, would you be looking for like another big and a point guard, or what kind of personally maybe Bacon a Scott? Because if we only have one available, there's, there's, like I said, there's a lot of good kids out there in 2021 that we could potentially use that extra scholarship, scholarship for. Um, but a big and a point card would be good. I mean, yeah, we, yeah, big and a point card. Sorry, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> no, you're fine. Yeah, it, you know who would be the the point guard right now at this point, Jim? Do you think would it be Jacob Jones, Blayton Williams? Is PJ Pipes going to be? primary ball handler i think he's a little bit better off the ball i mean who, who do you think the primary ball handler would be at this uh, stage you know, initially obviously you look at pipes to because he's got the experience but i definitely agree that in this offense he's going to be way better i think playing on the wing and um jacob jones i i definitely think when you watch him play, like he is a point guard. He's got his eyes up all the time. He's looking for his teammates really like him. I mean, you know, there's a guy that the only thing that you're questioning with him and why he didn't get recruited at a higher level is because he's 5'10 and, you know, 160 pounds or something like that. But I think that he grows in to be that point guard. But on day one, you're probably going to have uh, Pipes and Williams handling the ball a little bit more would be my my guess um yeah my my two needs that i'm looking at when i see the roster i think another big man that can that can stretch the court um you know the calling card of badger basketball throughout the years under bo ryan how many big guys did they have that could shoot all of them and i know that you know that's a 
the rare it's a mythical yeah. bird but hell we're the phoenix so why not go with mythical birds and find you know some more you know more big guys that can shoot <laughs> and i also think that you know when you think of blayton or jacob or pj um you know we've got some ball handlers but my thing i don't know that we have enough wing shooters you know if you've got four guys on the perimeter and your basic offense and the two guys that are you know free throw line extended need to be able to shoot um you know okay one of those guys could be pj one might be a Mari might be on the other side, but rotational wise, like I don't know that the other guys that we have, um, you know, are going to be able to knock down jumpers. So I think another shooter, especially if uh, Jefferson doesn't come back, um, you know, Paris Taylor's not noted to be a shooter. DeMonte Taylor's not noted to be a shooter at this point. I think though, like DeMonte and Claflin, I think will be awesome for Will Ryan. Will Ryan talks about he loves long, lanky guys and he loves player development. Well, we got two diamonds in the rough that we just need his, you know, his hands on to make them into really great players. But right now for 2020, 21, I think we need another guy that can just absolutely stroke the long ball. And that reminds me of um, a quote I saw from, from Saul Phillips. You know, he said, here's the quote, his biggest strengths are identifying talking about Will Ryan. Uh, his biggest strengths are identifying talent and developing that talent. He did that for me for 12 years. If you have a guy that can go out and do that for you, you're going to win some games. And I was certainly fortunate enough to have Will find me literally kids that had no Division One offers. And four years later, they're the player of the year in the league. Actually, on three separate occasions that he was directly involved with. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. Those are the kind of players that hopefully can come in, develop under this new regime and, uh, you know, get us moving forward. Um, you know, and that brings me to, I guess, the last point we, we were going to talk about uh, the program needs going forward. Obviously, program needs more buzz, needs some more butts in the seats. Um, you know, I think this coaching sh- change should help in that regard. Uh, obviously, the style of play probably is going to help because, you know, for whatever reason, the fans just never really warmed to that RP 40 style. It seemed like uh, Jordan, what do you think? Just on Twitter and whatnot. I, I have, it has been a long time since I've seen this many people tweeting about green Bay basketball. And I'm, you know, I'm seeing people from like, like the head beat writers from, you know, Madison tweeting about the hired of uh, Ryan um, Milwaukee. Like you said, you heard him talking about on the radio today. I, what is it called? The Cream City Central podcast, which is a pretty big one to come out of Milwaukee. They had they had Scott Vinci on, which I rec- recommend you listen. You guys listening to that? Um, he kind of broke down the hiring and firing Link Donner and the outlook of the Phoenix. Um, there's just a lot more buzz going on with the program, and I really hope that translates into more fans in the stands. And if if what's going on in social media right now, it will forecast what happens in the, the you know the the uh, basketball year, I think the more people will be involved because they, they want to. The Ryan name really helps. <laughs> no, I mean, so I think Green Bay is heading in the right direction. But you see, twenty twenty this year is a it's a big year because I think if they see some progress, see some different basketball, I think more fans will come. Yeah, I think you know the hiring of Gary Gresh kind of would have had the same buzz, maybe not in the same. Uh, you know, the same statewide level as, as this hiring did. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's about, you know, building on this buzz and actually getting fans in the, in the seats and winning games and this, 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 moving this, sorry, the program thing. forward. The Green Bay uh, social media department is really Will- stepping up too because this is like the fourth night they've tweeted out a quote or something about Will Ryan. So they're definitely trying to push it harder as well. But I don't remember seeing a whole lot um, in the past. So one's clicking the – Someone's, someone's clicking the buttons more behind. That's true. That's, that's a great point. I think that's awesome. Especially after Will Ryan got announced, a 45-second video of, you know, saying, hey, I'm the new basketball coach. I mean, that was awesome for – I mean, especially for a super fan for me to see. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so the casual fans are going to eat – they're going to eat off that. And then, you know, they're going to they're gonna want to come check it out first. Yeah, well said. Jim, what about you? What do you think as far as programming? Yeah, I mean, like you guys are talking about, you have to be able to convert this interest that people have right now into paying customers. Um, You know, it's one of the things I would get so frustrated about. Everybody becomes a 
immediate expert in all things UW-Green Bay. People who don't have anything to do with Green Bay suddenly know who we need to hire and they, they know all of our finances and then they go away. Right now, we had to be able to take this and convert it from interest into you know, execute into people. And once we can execute and get people watching the game and paying to go to the games and and then obviously, you know, the chancellor makes no bones about that. The expectation is to raise more money on the donation side. There's just certain things that need to happen for the program. Number one, you know, they need to be able to play less buy games, quite frankly. Like if you want to give Will Ryan the best opportunity to succeed, we can't be playing five or six of those in a year. But to do that, we need to have people coming and paying for our products so that we have can circumvent that money in a different way and raise that money in a different way. So taking this excitement, but that's one of the reasons I'm actually really excited about it. Like, you know, Will Ryan is a 21st century person. He is, did that 45 second video and Jordan, you might just be a super fan, but you have to understand that that is something that was so easy to do. He did that with a cell phone or a tablet and, you know, got that online. And now people, you know, people invest in people and people are going to see that he is a person and a great person. I mean, he comes across as a great person. I listened to a podcast when he first got the wheeling job and he was talking to a local guy in wheeling and um, he was, he was very confident. He was very, you know, personable and he he was funny. And when people get to see that personality, then they're going to be like, okay, I kind of like this guy. And then they see that, you know, he probably knows what he's doing. We're winning then they're really going to like this guy. And that's how you snowball that into, you know, turning the tide of where we're at as a program. So that's one thing um, uh, the program needs, you know, to convert these interest into people and those people into dollars. And then the other thing is, uh, this is one that nobody's talking about, and this is just my long range uh, dreaming, but since we're on a podcast and I'm the key for psychs of this podcast, apparently I can say what I want. Um, uh, one thing that I would really love to see the program do to elevate itself, like I talk about this on Twitter, I talk about it with you guys and, and messages all the time. Like we've got a big time program. I'd love to see us, you know, start to think about what's the next step. Like we've got, if you walk into the Cross Event Center, it's a great home for Green Bay Athletics. But then you think about where the team locker room is. It's down a hallway. You know, it's like looks like a broom closet. You walk down and there's no windows in their locker room, and it's not the biggest thing. Like at some point, I would love to see enough people execute um, and become interested in Green Bay basketball, fi- financially invest in Green Bay basketball to do two things. One, um, build a better team locker room area, an office area, something that you know everybody walks into and go, holy shit, I want to be part of this. And then the other thing is uh, build up enough interest to endow the coaching salary. Uh, because then once we do that, we're going to have the operating capital to do a lot of things that mid-major superpowers do. And ultimately, that's what I think every Green Bay fan wants to be, is a mid-major superpower. Not a, hey, we got lucky one time or we got lucky once every 10 or 20 years, but a team that we know we have the right people to put the right product on the court and can do it year in and year out. And uh, that's where I really want to see the program get to. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. That's why you're the key for Sykes of this podcast. <laughs> that's, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with everything you just said there. And, you know, the more I think about this hire, the more I look into it. Um, I think he, he definitely has the potential to, to get us to that next level, at least, uh, you know, some sustainable success, which, which would be amazing. So we'll, we'll end with this. Um, and you, I guess we kind of did touch on it, but how does this affect your outlook on the program going forward? Obviously, what's done is done. We can't go back now, but it, I, I think it's an exciting new direction for the program. You know, this year might be a little bumpy, but, um, you know, Jordan, you were kind of talking about it as far as like in-state recruiting. I, I think we're going to be seriously involved with a lot of these in-state kids moving forward. So, um, Jordan, what just overall kind of in closing what what's it definitely excites me. Affect your I outlook think on the, the most reason why it excites me because I have a lot more people communicating with me on Twitter just about the program than I had before people that I haven't talked to so I mean that kind of just excites me because it's a it's a new fan I mean that was that was me at one time. so if I can you know get a couple of those people to get that interested in the program as me then I and I feel like I've done my part so just like the new fans we're hopefully we're going stay we'll do this program wonders um and then also the in-state recruiting will be a big help um 
people always uh, on especially on the message board you can't you can't see what you know you can't believe whatever you re- read on the message board but in-state recruits do help bring put butts in the seats especially if they're good in-state recruits and i feel like well ryan he can do that he can get us those in-state guys to stay around and you know and bring keep the people keep the people that are from the green bay area or even the state of wisconsin coming to the rest center instead of going somewhere else I'll be very curious now to see what we do on the staff side for uh, Will Ryan. Last year at Wheeling, he had two grad for his staff. So obviously he wasn't, you know, he had young people with high energy, but not necessarily experience. And Will being in his first year as a head coach, like that's probably not an ideal scenario. So when people look at that team last year and go, oh, they're 14-13 and 11-11 in conference, you're talking about a guy that had only six juniors and seniors on his roster and for a staff to put together that team, he had himself and two graduate assistants. So I'd love to see them, you know, keep somebody like a Randall Herbst or get somebody that has some experience to, you know, help Will just navigate the D1 landscape a little bit. And I definitely agree. I don't think that players have to be from Wisconsin necessarily, but I think that for whatever reason, uh, Green Bay had been shut out a little bit in Wisconsin over the last handful of years. And, you know, when I start looking at guys uh, and I don't know if what the recruiting rules are here, but uh, you start looking at the Braden Daly's and the Cade Myers of the world. Like those are guys that I think we're already giving Green Bay a look and probably going to give us a really good hard look uh, with coach Ryan in, in the fold. And so building that team organically, that's another thing I think people are going to want to see is, and that's a badger thing is no quick fixes, you know, building your team organically and, and having developing players that are on the court for, you know, three or four years that people really relate to. That's why people love Kiefer Sykes. He came in as a freshman. He was fun and exciting. He left as a senior. He was the best player in the league and people love that. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that with coach Ryan and, I couldn't be more excited about about the Coach Ryan era. Uh, not sure, you know, I wasn't expecting it to start this way, but I'm definitely, you know, really looking forward to it getting kicked off here uh, when the when the winter or the fall comes around. And I'll just end with this. Uh, I agree with you that I really hope uh, Coach Herbst gets to stay on. You know, just to keep a little bit of continuity. Um, but I'll end with saying thank you to Link Darner for getting us back to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 20 years. Um, you know, all, we were always competitive. Uh, so, you know, just, just wanted to say thank you to Link and, um, and his staff because I know it was really unexpected what happened. But um, I know I'm not the only fan that appreciates the, the five years. That is well us. said, Brian. Yep. So um, I agree. With that said, uh, we'll, yeah, I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up on that. We'll see what kind of massive news breaks within the next five days after recording this one. But, uh, but yeah, with that said, thanks for listening, everyone, and thank you, too, for, for coming on and joining me, and we will talk again soon.